Hello, everyone. Welcome to Meet the Author podcast, sponsored by the Network for Research into Chinese Education Mobilities. I am Dr. Cora Xu, founder and director of the network and host of this Meet the Author podcast. In this inaugural podcast episode, we are delighted to have Dr. Jamie Coates with us to discuss his latest research about Chinese students' experiences in Japan. Hello, Jamie. Great to meet you. Can you briefly introduce yourself, please? Hi, Cora. Thanks so much for inviting me.、Uh, my name is Jamie Coates. And I'm a lecturer in East Asian Studies at the University of Sheffield. Great. Can you tell us what motivated you to conduct this research on Chinese students' experiences in Japan or Tokyo, to be exact? Okay.、Um, yeah. Sure.、Uh, so、uh, I did、uh, an undergraduate degree in both anthropology and Chinese studies.、Um, my Uh, fieldwork. My first piece of fieldwork was part of、uh, a year abroad, living in Beijing, and I had a roommate from Okinawa when I was there.、Um, a couple of years later, this was around two thousand and five, and I don't know if you, the listeners, remember, but there were large anti-Japan riots around then,、um, and so I had this very strong impression of the kind of anti-Japanese sentiment amongst everyday Chinese people in places like Beijing. But when I went to visit my old roommate in,、uh, in Japan at the time, I noticed there were all of these Chinese students、uh, living in、uh, actually a place called Chiba Daigaku, so Chiba University, and、um, and they had really fascinating opinions about what was going on. So that was kind of the spark that made me think I really want to look at Chinese people living in Japan to kind of better understand、um, like Sino-Japanese relations, but also Uh, the way in which、uh, travel around the world kind of challenges a lot of young Chinese people's expectations about what it means to be Chinese. That sounds fascinating. Great.、Um, so, what are your key findings or messages of your research, both in your documentary film Tokyo Pengyo and in your journal article, The Cruel Optimism of Mobility, in the Positions Journal?、Uh, well. One of the things that was、uh, sort of interesting in my research,、uh, I ended up picking a field site in the northwest of Tokyo, where、um, a couple of local business owners had petitioned to have、um, the area recognized as a new Chinatown. But in my research amongst young Chinese people, particularly people who were students,、um, I ended up finding that. Things like Chinatowns and those sorts of questions weren't actually what were interesting to them. Rather,、um, they had much bigger and slightly more philosophical questions about their own place in the world. So,、um, through that, I became very interested in how the experience of being young and mobile was actually reshaping how young Chinese people imagined, firstly, their place in the world, and secondly, their relationship. With each other, so、um, my film Tokyo Pongyo,、um, as you can kind of tell from the name, is actually about how young Chinese people create friendships and kind of get a sense of togetherness、um, within the migrant context. And my、uh, my article, the cruel optimism of mobility,、uh, 
um, is about how all of the different expectations that um, uh, influence the decision to study abroad are in some ways um, irreconcilable. They'll never perfectly fit together. And so a lot of the, the people I interviewed, um, despite being incredibly successful by a whole range of measures, um, still felt quite um, out of place and quite, uh, I mean, they felt like they were still living a floating life despite all of the successes they'd met. So um, I guess those were my two findings that traveling overseas really does actually change a lot of young Chinese people's expectations around what it means to be with each other in a variety of ways. That's really, really interesting. Right. My next question is, while conducting this uh, piece of research, were there any interesting anecdotes that you can share with us? Uh, yeah. So um, because this is a, a podcast, people probably don't know what I look like, but I'm a bald Australian guy with a red, a red beard. And obviously doing fieldwork amongst Chinese people in Japan is quite a sort of strange thing. Um, so it took me a little bit of time to be able to get access to the networks of young Chinese people that you might hope to do research with. And so I've actually written a, a chapter about this in a book on methodologies of mobility, about how the first place I started was a hairdressing salon. Um, so my anecdote is basically that uh, if you're ever trying to meet people who are living abroad, um, hairdressing salons are fantastic places because you know there's nothing more intimate than your own hair and usually you'll you want to be able to talk to the hairdresser in your mother tongue to negotiate what you're going to look like for the you know the month to come or even longer and so i ended up doing field work in a hairdressing salon to meet young chinese students um and it was quite interesting like i you know because I was this Chinese speaking bald guy in a hairdressing salon and they used to find it quite funny and I, I learned how to you know give head massage shampoos and I would sweep up after people just to kind of legitimate myself. That sounds fascinating. So you were able to speak Chinese and you were able to help. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I studied Chinese for quite a long time now and um, I actually teach Chinese to English translation here at Sheffield. So. Um, um, that's one of the things I do. Obviously, I'm never going to be a native speaker, but I'm very comfortable in Chinese, yeah. Yeah, so apparently language ability is really important for conducting your kind of ethnographic research. Absolutely. I'm, 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 I know some ethnographers are able to do research with research assistants, but uh, the way I conduct my fieldwork, which is very um, personal, I, I have very strong friendships with a lot of the people I do my research with um, means that it's it's impossible not to use like the language that they prefer to use some of them were actually quite good English speakers as well but it was always much more casual and convivial to hang out and speak in Chinese which I hope you get a sense of in the film Tokyo Pongyo because that really wasn't what it was me hanging out with a, a select group of young Chinese people in Japan. Yeah, I've watched it, thoroughly enjoyed it, and also was quite impressed that uh, it seems that most of the film or the entire film was in Chinese, right? Yeah, there's a, a few small sections in Japanese as well. Um, so I, I do speak Japanese as well, uh, but I started learning that for my PhD research. Um, 
and it was a bit of a, a nightmare to subtitle because I couldn't really find anyone who speaks Chinese, English, and Japanese mm. uh, well enough on my personal budget to um, subtitle the film. So, um, so I had to do all of that by myself. But, yeah. Wow, yeah, and that is really relevant to our next question. Okay, so our next question is about your filmmaking process and the publication process. Many of our members are interested in, you know, this kind of creative and academic writing uh, processes. Can you share how you went about making this film and writing this article? What were the highlights and challenges? Yeah, so uh, for the film, I'll start with the film. But basically, when I when I did my PhD research, I noticed all of these. Uh, things that were going on within uh, Ikebukuro, the place that I was doing my research, that were very hard to describe using words. Um, I, I think perhaps I'm not the kind of talented writer that can really convey the poetics of um, people drinking and joking together. And so I became really interested in filmmaking and photography as a different way of being able to talk about some of those elements. Um, so uh, in 2013 to 2014, I um, was on a fixed-term contract um, here in Sheffield. And um, while here, I ended up doing film training over through um, a group called Filmmaking for Fieldwork, um, who are based in Manchester. And um, they're affiliated with the Granada um, Centre, which is a visual anthropology centre over at University of Manchester. And so I did a two-week intensive about how to kind of use filmmaking and also audio recording. And I had a bit of a background in photography already. So um, after doing that training in 2014, I returned to Japan uh, for four years um, and spent two years field work um, on a postdoctoral fellowship. And that was amazing because uh, as much as I received lots of training, uh, technology changes so quickly and obviously the cost of these sorts of things can be quite high and so having the opportunity to do two years postdoctoral research with a modest but still fairly generous um, grant attached to it so uh, I recommend the JSPS to everybody anyone who wants to do research in Japan definitely um, have a look at applying for it but uh, the thing that was great about it was that I was able to kind of get out there make lots and lots of mistakes um, and learn along the way. And now I feel quite confident as a filmmaker, largely because of all of the mistakes I made. Mm. So what I'd actually originally set out to do was to use filmmaking and uh, in particular photography to document media use and other kinds of consumption cultures among the young people that I'd worked with previously. Um, trying to get a, a little bit like, for those of you who are familiar with Danny Miller's work on, and Inga Daniel's work on material cultures amongst um, migrant communities. So I wanted to do something like that, but um, once I started doing it, I was doing these short interviews and um, kind of material culture and media analyses using the camera in different people's apartments, but I just met a, a kind of small group of characters among them who were so interesting and were so keen on kind of taking me through their lives in a variety of ways that I decided actually this could make quite a nice sort of 50 minute film about this one person and then who's a, a young Chinese musician and some of his friends. So 
I used one of the other people I was working with as a kind of mirror for that person. Um, so there were lots of challenges. I, you know, I, I ended up with, you know, 30 hour, 30 plus hours of footage. Um, but the film is only 50 minutes long, so you can imagine how much of that footage was not usable. <laughs> um, and also, uh, you know, how difficult it is to kind of edit it down and make those decisions. But, yeah. Yeah, wow. In, ter in terms of the article, uh, the, um, uh, so the article uh, is a combination of the data that I collected from my PhD and then the follow-up data, um, which was conducted while I was doing this filmmaking project as well and that was really nice because I was basically able to get a sense of how things had changed so at the very beginning of um, the cruel optimism of mobility I start to talk about um, how one of the key people that I'd worked with in my previous research was having a baby and so this was a kind of big uh, rite of passage for him and that sparked all of these bigger philosophical questions uh, to be frank, uh, the challenge of that was, um, so the article, the journal that I published it in is quite a big journal within my field. And um, and so I, w I had a lot of anxiety about getting it out there um, because it could be one of those articles that makes or breaks a career, as some people might say. Uh, but um, the journal, the editors, Tani Barlow um, in particular, were really supportive. Um, and the only thing that was a bit challenging was because it was such a popular journal, um, it was actually accepted quite a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And um, it took, you know, uh, three to four years um, before it was actually out. Um, it had been accepted and then it was just waiting to come out in that issue just because it's such a big and popular journal. So I think if you're on the job hunt, um, which I, I think a lot of us are, that was one thing always to keep in mind because um, they were very nice and they wrote a letter confirming that uh, I definitely had been accepted and it was definitely going to come out. But nonetheless, there was a long wait um, during that time. So is this something that's quite common in anthropology? Um, I think so. It would, not so much anthropology. It's a kind of... Uh, couple of different anthropology journals that are also intersecting with East Asian studies so you might call it East Asian cultural studies I guess mm. um, yeah the, the, a few of these journals my historian friends also say that it's this sometimes happens that you have a really really long turnover and as I'm sure you know uh, in Chinese educational mobilities today uh, things change so quickly that I was also quite worried about, you know, people going, oh, man, that was so 2016, that's so old now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so are you suggesting that although this article came, came out uh, just last year, you began writing this uh, like in 2016 or even earlier? Yeah, yeah, it was actually accepted in 2016. Luckily, oh, wow. they allowed me to update some of it um, before it actually came out. But uh, the, the data from it was actually, and it was accepted with all of its revisions in 2016. I see. Wow. <laughs> right. So my next question for you is, what are your plans or next steps for this research project? Um, so uh, I became really interested in the role of play um, in shaping how people make a connection with each other. So um, in migration studies, there's been a lot of talk about the idea of conviviality, you know, a kind of 
ways in which being together is pleasurable. And I think that um, given my previous research, I've become more and more interested in like, actual practices of play. So I've got a, a couple of different publications from my previous fieldwork, um, including a book manuscript that I'm uh, working on, which is all about the role of play and communication in creating new communities of um, young Chinese people. And I've also just started working on a, a grant application, but we'll have to see how it goes, <laughs> um, looking at the role of play amongst young Chinese people in the UK. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about, um, particularly up here in the north of England, uh, about you know uh, Chinese students not uh kind of getting into the local community life and i think there's a lot of misunderstandings about why that might be and i think that actually doing a study where you can compare different kinds of play styles and and the idea of what is considered fun cross-culturally will actually help people understand that you know because anecdotally for example uh, as much as australians and british people like to wallow in the pub all the time uh, a lot of my Chinese friends say it's quite boring <laughs> and they don't really understand why you would just want to go and drink, not eat anything, not play any games, not do anything. You just sort of, you just talk. Um, obviously, that's not the case for everyone, but I think those sorts of nuances would be worth teasing out in a variety of ways. Um, and so I'm hoping to do more stuff on that. Wow, that sounds fascinating. We look forward to discussing with you in another podcast episode about your, your new book and your new grant Thanks so much, Cora. <laughs> right. So thank you so much for sharing, Jamie. Um, is there anything else that you would like to uh, tell us today? No, I'd just like to say that um, thank you so much for inviting me. And I have to say, I'm so impressed uh, with all of the work you've been doing with the Chinese Research on Educational Mobilities Network. It's, uh, yeah, if there was something like that when I started my research on this topic, you know, yeah, a long time ago now, 10 years ago, more than 10 years, uh, it would have really made a big difference. So it's it's great to see how many people are getting involved in this topic. Thank you so much. And it's uh, all thanks to people like you who are who are contributing to the network in such uh, enthusiastic uh, ways. Thank you very much. Thank you. We are really excited to have this opportunity to listen to Jamie about his fascinating filmmaking and article publishing processes based on his hugely important research on Chinese young migrants in Tokyo, Japan. We wish Jamie all the best with his book writing and grant application. You can find Jamie's details on our network's podcast page. If you want to be featured in one of our podcasts, please email us at chinese@mobilities@outlook.com. Thanks. Mm-hmm.